What is up, guys? Welcome back to the 760 cast. Um, so I did a podcast with my cousin, Danny Sadler. He does the podcast Hustlers Rule the World, which you can find everywhere. You can find my podcast, Apple Music, Spotify, etc. I hope you guys check him out. We basically spent most of this episode talking about sports cards, a little bit about my flipping, and then a lot about mindset towards the end. So if you're interested, you know, I hope you really enjoy this and let me know what you think. Yo, yo, yo. What is up, Hustlers? Today we got Dominic Cusinelli back on the show. What's up, Dominic? What's up, Danny? Glad to be back. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. Dominic is really into business. He's got a shoe reselling business known as 760 Kicks, and lately he's been doing stuff with sports cards. Tell us a bit about all the things you've been working on lately, especially with more free time. Right. So, okay. I want to give a little bit of context going before 760 Kicks, which is my reselling business. Um, Freshman year of high school... I started like really digging into investing in the stock market, and that's not something that's there, but that's where I did a bulk of my research. So I would say, I believe I'm extremely educated in the economy and in the way that markets flow and in the principles of investing. Um, so from there, in the summer of this year, I started doing sneaker reselling. Um, I've done about $30,000 in shoe sales to date, with a bulk of those coming in the last 45 days. Basically, the, the model is just you go on the internet, you just scour through the internet, you go through every platform, and you look for deals on shoes. You try to get them cheaper than market price, get them, clean them up, and put them up for sale. As I've done this, I've created content on Instagram, TikTok, and I've made a couple of podcasts as well. So I've built out an audience of people that I can both buy to or buy from and sell to. So that's strengthened my business a lot. I've created a website. So basically, I just created this whole system around flipping shoes and doing it at scale. And I'm continuing to try to scale that. But the other thing I've been interested in is sports cards. And in general, I bought a bunch in December before the basketball season and did extremely well on those investments. And in general, I've been thinking it's a rising market. I've been slowly getting into it. The thing that's interesting right now is with the coronavirus pandemic, I don't want to talk too much about that specifically, but it's crushed the stock market and the general economy so far. I personally think it's going to get a lot worse still. Um, I'm not an expert. We'll see if that's true or not. But with that in mind, because this is a podcast talking about business and hustle, I'm only going to address the business side of this instead of the health and like precautionary side of it. And from a business perspective, when the market gets hit, it's really tough to play a short-term game because if I buy a pair of Yeezys for $300 and the market's going down, and by the time I get them, they're worth 250 I can't flip them anymore. So I'm trying to move over and extend my time horizon. And sports cards, I think, are the best way to make an investment that will make you money in six to 12 months. So I'm trying to take advantage of the dips in all the markets, particularly dips in the sports card market, and invest the money that way. So I'm, I'm just going all in on really, really learning the market for cards because I already have the background in sports. So it's just like, how can I get really good at flipping sports cards? Yeah, that sounds awesome. I definitely think it's really good for you to be looking at other ways to invest your money. Now, tell me what what's so special about sports cards right now? Why specifically those? Well, I think the one thing that plays really well is they're just they're just cool. Like, and you're see, I'm seeing it. So, I have an interesting lens, like perspective of the world. So, because I do so much content on reselling, I communicate with a lot of other resellers and. Gary Vee is the guy who first put me on to sports cards, but in general, I'm just ingrained in the space, 
and I see investor business type kids that I interact with a lot or even like mid adults, everything getting really into it. And the way I see it is sports are red hot in the world. Betting is red hot in the world, which even like sports betting is becoming legalized. That adds another level of interest into the field. And just in general, the, the amount of money coming in through investors of people just interested in sports is really growing the market. So I like that a lot. Um, I mean, beyond that, I think that when you think about the stock market versus sports cards, I think there's there's a basic principle of the stock market, which is called the efficient market hypothesis, which basically implies that every company is fairly valued um, because the amount of just overall knowledge of each company from investment is perfect. I don't believe that, but I do think that the stock market is fairly efficient. When it comes to sports cards, just the amount of collectors in it, the amount of subjectivity that comes in when there's like a LeBron rookie, but then there's 10 variants of it. There's just so many moving parts that it's always going to be inefficient. So I think if you really know what you're doing, there's a lot of money to be made there as long as the market stays high. So you combine that with softness in the overall economy and dropping prices. My prediction in the long term, the market's going to go up. And the fact that there's just vast amounts of inefficiency, I think there's a shit ton of money to make there. And then on top of all that, I love sports and I love cards. So it's just kind of a perfect storm. Yeah, that's very fascinating. As someone who's a big sports fan myself, what can you say to people who know a lot about sports, know all the players and things, but they know absolutely nothing about the sports card market? How do you get into that world? Content. Um, so the first thing I would do is I would just look for – there's two accounts I can suggest on Instagram. Three, actually. I'll say three. I follow Mike Parlucci. He's not specifically – just sports cards, but he talks about them a lot. I've learned a lot from him. Um, there's a guy called Sports Card Investor on Instagram that I follow, and there's a guy, well, and Gary V. That'll be a fourth one. So Gary V. as well. He's, he's been talking about it a lot lately. And then also uh, an account called Slab Stocks. Um, and basically, I, it's just there's a lot of content starting to be created about it, which makes it a lot easier to learn. And then, like I've also said, I'm on TikTok, and I'm in the reseller space, so a lot of that content just naturally comes to me through the feed. Like I learned a lot about what to do with like something called population reports, which I'll touch on later because I think that's extremely important finding value. And I think that's something a lot of people are overlooking, but just in general, like you have to seek out the content and get like a basic knowledge base. But then the other thing you can do is like, say you're interested in Luka Doncic, right? Because like, I think he has a very good chance to be the greatest player of all time when it's all said and done, which is insane. But So let's say you want to learn about Luka. You want to get his cards. You can look up Luka Doncic, you know, rookie card, and you can go to eBay, and you can go through sold listings, and you can just see what different types of cards demand what prices and just start to build your basis of the actual market for both players and different variants of cards. Okay, okay. Seems like... A lot of info to take in, but nonetheless, it seems like there's a lot of research, and it's a pretty strong, pretty strong market right now going. Yeah, I mean, and that's—I think just the pure amount of research that it takes to be good at this, it can be a competitive advantage to somebody who really likes it. So, like someone like me, I, I think you know this about me. I don't know if your audience does because I've only been on one podcast. I am a very obsessive person. Like, I get into something, 
and that's all I think about for a week. It's all I think about for a month. It's all I think about for a year. And it's like, I'm getting super hyped on sports cards, and I see the upside, and I just think in the next 10 to 50 days while the market's dropping, I'm going to absorb so much information that I think I will, when I'm really ready to put real money on this, I think I'm going to be in a very good position to win big. And we'll see if I'm right. Yeah, that's totally understandable considering how much research you're already doing. Now, I right. see you I see you putting out a lot of content about it on TikTok and Instagram. Like where do you see yourself taking the content, especially with your sneaker page, like starting to branch out and post about that? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I was thinking about that today. Um, interesting because my I have the audiences built and they're sneaker audiences. Some of them might be interested in sports cards. Some of them might not be. And basically, it's probably for the next three months going to be more of a sports card page than a sneaker page. And it's interesting. I'm I'm only interested in authenticity. I want to put out what I'm doing with my business and my life as much as possible to, to provide value for people, right? So I'm not going to stop posting because I'm not doing shoes anymore. But I will have this interesting crossover of I'm going to get a lot of new sports fans following my account, and I'm probably, like, the real, like, pure sneakerheads that follow me, I'm probably going to lose those followers. So it's definitely going to be an evolution in my audience. But at the end of the day, if I create content that brings people value and I just have the general energy and knowledge that I usually bring to the table, I think that more content is better than less. So I'm just going to blast out whatever's on my mind at any given time. Yeah, I think that's, I like that plan because personally, I think that catering to one specific thing is not really good. I think that if you're kind of branching out and showing people another side of your business interest, like, yeah, you may lose some sneakerhead followers, but at the same time, if there's people out there who happen to both like sneakers and basketball and sports cards, you're really going to double down on that fan base. Exactly. No, 100%. 100%. And also, the, I mean, the algorithms on all these platforms work so that the content only served people interested in it. So, like, I'll have a video on Instagram that gets 500 views, and I'll have a video on Instagram that gets 3,000. So, like, at the end of the day, if I create content that people don't want to see, then it, they won't see it, and that's great. But I just feel like, like at, the, at this moment in time, I like sports cards more than sneakers because of the upside, because it's a new challenge, all, everything. So I feel like if people are interested in me and my business and what I'm doing, I'm doing a big disservice to them if I'm not showing what I'm really excited about in favor of keeping the status quo. Exactly. And you've, with all your sneaker stuff, you've probably built up a lot of trust too. Yes. No, that's, that's one of the most like crazy things is like, there's plenty, there's, every, there's no one I've really come across who hasn't been willing to like gift me money, like meaning that someone will send me a hundred dollars for shoes and there will be no system in place to protect them if they don't do it, if I don't send the shoes, right? But there's a trust level I've built up. I mean, that's part of what I've been trying to do is I'm trying to build brands. Like I genuinely would rather lose $50 on a transaction. Like, okay, for example, I just sold a pair of shoes and I shipped the wrong size. Like I hit the guy up before he even hit me up and said, Hey, I shipped you the wrong size. I'll send you a return label right now. I'll send you the right shoes. I'm going to lose money now. I didn't have to do that. He, he had no outlet to get his money back if I didn't offer it to him. But, like, I, I'm more interested in building brands, 
being a good person and doing right by my customers than I am in short-term money. Yeah, of course. In my opinion, that's a definitely a great way to win because once you build brand and trust, more people are going to come. They'll spread their word about you. They'll be recurring customers more. Like I'm not educating business, but I kind of think that that's kind of the way the world works is like if you build trust with somebody, somebody else is more willing to go to you, you know, just in general. Because I know I know sneaker accounts out there that do what I call opportunistic scamming, which is like if somebody with a small amount of followers comes to them and says, hey, I want to buy your shoes and then get them the money, that account might think, oh, this person doesn't have the platform to expose me so I can just scam them and move on. But at the end of the day, word spreads. And then you're just a shitty person. Like, if you do that, you're actually just a piece of shit. Like, but beyond that, it's all who's a bad business move in the long term, if you're thinking long term. Right. Like, I already see a lot of accounts on Instagram where they're exposing people who have scammed others. Yep. So, I think... And that's going to grow. Say that again? I said that's going to continue to grow because there's so much interest in buying shoes on Instagram. And it's tough to say if someone's legit or not if they're not, you know, really putting themselves out there. So those accounts that expose scammers are going to continue to grow. And, like, if you actually want to make a good business for the long term, you can't do it by scamming. Even if you only scam one out of 100 transactions, you will fuck yourself. That's just reality. Yeah, absolutely. Like one $200 transaction that you scam somebody on is just going to lose you tons and tons of money in the long term. So it's just, it's stupid and it's wrong. Yep. Anyways, if I can, I want to I wanna switch back to sports cards because I'm super excited about it. I want to talk about some of the guys I like and some of the arbitrages that I'm thinking might make you money. Okay, yeah, let's go into that a little bit. Who are some of the players you're really looking at right now? Gonna, I, so I have a list of a bunch of guys. I'm going to try to narrow it down to a big five. My number one right now, this is interesting. The number one guy I would buy right now is Dwayne Wade. Um, the problem is his cards are so rare that it's hard to find them for market price. Right now, all of the, the listings on eBay, in my opinion, are above, well, not in my opinion. In reality, they're just above what recent sales have been. So I have to wait until one comes in at a fair price, and then I'm going to snatch it up. But I'm extremely excited about Dwayne Wade. Um, because he'll be in the Hall of Fame soon, because he's just fucking iconic. He has three rings. He's one of the most loved players by Miami and really just by everyone in the world, which is why it's so shocking that his cards are so low. But I think one of the trends that happens in sports cards is when a guy gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, there's just such a boost in their relevance, right, culturally speaking, that the demand just goes way up and they gain a lot of value. So I think that's one big one. And just, just for comparison's sake, a top base PSA 10 Dwayne Wade rookie card is selling for about $150. The Chrome variant, which right now is more popular, but I'm not convinced that that'll stay true in the long term, those are selling for around $300 to $400. For comparison's sake, the comparable LeBron James cards, which are from almost the exact same year, um, sell for $1,700 and $3,000. So I don't think that LeBron in the long term is going to be 10x Dwayne Wade. That's just one comp you could use. But just in general, I think if you buy D-Wade rookie cards right now, I think there is the potential to get 10x on your money in five years. So I am. I hope I hope that people listening don't try and go get them because I'm just introducing more competition. But I got to keep it real with everyone. That's 
that's the one I'm fucking excited about and I'm really working to get my hands on. Yeah, that's really awesome. Like Wade was obviously a great player. He took a little bit of a backseat when LeBron came to Miami, but we know he carried the heat to that championship in 06 and got two additional rings. Right. And we, I mean, and he was a perennial all-star and he's an MVP. And in general, like, I think there's such a boost for just staying with one team your entire career because there's just like, I mean, dude, every, like, in his retirement ceremony, you know everybody loves this guy. When he gets inducted to the Hall of Fame, when his name starts coming up in the news again, when he, when he kind of gets this new surge of relevance that's going to happen, it's just, it's going to go up so much. It happened with, um, fuck, I think it was Tim Duncan who recently got inducted. His cards went, like, way up. I think maybe 5 to 10x. Like, it's big. There's definitely a big relevance play in cards, meaning that, like, when somebody gets more popular or gets more coverage in a certain period of time, their cards gain a lot of value. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. So, uh, what would you think would happen, say, if a big name free agent like left to another team? Well, it depends. Like, so. Also, I want to preface this by saying that I've been like hardcore studying the sports card market for like five to seven days now. So there are people more educated out there than me, but I do want to give the knowledge that I do have to the best of my ability to everyone listening. Um, so okay, so it depends. It's all circumstantial, right? So. If somebody leaves a team and goes to a, uh, look, okay, let's put it like this: if Zion got drafted by the Lakers, right? Lakers got the one pick; they won the lottery. He went there. It's worth a lot more because it's a bigger market. It's a better team. Like there's factors like that that get played into it. Right. In the same token, same token, when Anthony Davis got traded to the Lakers, his card went up because you know he's playing in front of a way bigger market. He has a way higher potential to win a ring. He just became more relevant. So I think it's this situation dependent, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't really think about that. But, of course, the Lakers are just a gigantic brand. They're the biggest brand in the league. Right. And just in general, in general, I do think that if all else is equal, the player on the better team will be worth more. Or if all else equal, the player in the better in the bigger market will be worth more. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's something that goes into the calculations. Yeah, very interesting. Are there any uh, younger guys you're looking into? I know you mentioned Luka Doncic earlier. Yeah, so I can go on a whole different rant about newer basketball cards because there's an interesting structure to the market there. But I'll just start. Some of the younger guys I like, I like Trey Young a lot. I like, I think Trey Young is underpriced right now because the Hawks are really bad, but they're not going to stay really bad. And I think he has just game-changing potential because he can hit deep threes and he shoots deep threes at volume that is pretty much unmatched in the rest of the NBA. So I think he's a big-time game-changer. I think he's a legitimate 30-point-per-game-per-year guy. And eventually he'll be a perennial all-star and a perennial, you know, he'll be on a team that is making the playoffs every year because his offense is that good. So that's a guy I like a lot. Um, another young guy, there's two in baseball that I really like. Um, the first is Walker Bueller. He's already pitched in the World Series. He's arguably the best pitcher on the, the best pitcher on the best team in baseball, and he's a 25-year-old kid who just has insane stuff. So, like, 
he's really good. His PSA 10 rookie cards are only like 20 bucks. So I've grabbed three of them. I fully plan on getting more. Um, the other guy is also baseball. I really like Jordan Alvarez. Um, he's the lefty on the Astros. Basically, the whole Astros team right now is tanked because of the whole cheating scandal. And, of course, we don't really know how much that changed their play, for better or worse. Like, it might be like the cheating goes away. They no longer know what pitches are coming, and they can't hit anymore. Like, we don't know, so there's risk there. But the thing about Jordan Alvarez is he's been destroying baseballs since he went into the professionals. Like, at every stop in his professional career, as a super young kid, he has destroyed professional pitching. And that didn't stop in the major leagues. And in general, like, he's the type of guy that could be worth $200 by the end of next season, maybe more depending on the strength of the market, because he could just be that good. And you could get his cards for less than 20 bucks right now. So that's, that's another young guy that I will be betting money on when I can find the right cards. Wow, that's pretty insane. Now, kind of, kind of thinking about that a little bit, I want to ask what separates a card that has a lot of value versus one that doesn't have a lot of value. Say, same player. Same player. This is this is where I'm a little stuck. At the core, it's simply demand, right? Because one, there's if there's two cards. So, for example, there are for basketball cards the name of the game right now is Prism. Prism are the ones that have the most sales volume and the highest prices, like generally speaking. Um, and for example, there's different variants. So this year they released the Prism base cards and then the Prism draft pick cards. And they're very similar, but the Prism base cards are worth like five times as much. And the only logical reason for that is that collectors and investors like the Prism base card better, right? But I don't think there's anything fundamentally better about the prison base cards. I mean, you could argue about different things about the visual appeal or the print rates or whatever. But at the end of the day, I think the cards that are most popular are going to be worth the most. And that's going to be fluid, meaning that's going to change over time. So that's one of the ways I want to play this market is like for Zion Williamson, if I want a Zion Williamson card, right? I'm going to try to give the full context here. There's a whole bunch of options you have, but two that I'm looking at is there's the Prism Base and the Prism Draft Picks, right? Both are similar cards. They look similar. They're both very cool-looking cards. The Zion Williamson Prism Base PSA 10 has about 2,000 cards in existence. The Zion Williamson Draft Picks Prism Rookie Card PSA 10 has about 200 in existence, right? So there's 10 times as many as the base cards. And yet the base cards are worth five times as much. That's the current market value. I think you have a play attacking lower population cards with high visual appeal that aren't worth as much money. That's one of the things I've been really researching in the last two days is not just what players do I think are going to have value go up, but what card brands are going to have value go up. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So basically it's like, you're kind of making a long-term play because right now the card that has more available out there just happens to be worth more, but you don't think that's going to last long-term. No, like fundamentally, I think that the base rookie cards right now, this is a very, this is a very unpopular opinion, 
and if there's actual like sports guys in here listening, they might come at me for this, but this is what I believe with the knowledge that I have right now. I think the current Prism-based rookie cards, which are extremely expensive, are massively overpriced. Because, for example, let's talk about Luca. The Luca-based Prism rookie card has a PSA 10, perfect grade, has a population of 9,000 cards. A LeBron, a similar LeBron card, has like the LeBron Top Space rookie card has a population of 300 in PSA 10, and the LeBron, LeBron Tops Chrome rookie card has a population of 600. So just from simple forces of the supply side of supply and demand, in the long term, I can't imagine how Luka Doncic, even if he's way better than LeBron somehow, would ever overtake LeBron in, in card value, at least for that particular card type, because the supply is so much greater. So like for me, these cards out there with thousands of PSA 10 in the population, I can't get behind them as a solid long-term hold. Okay. So that's, yeah. that's where some of the variants get interesting. Yeah, it's very fascinating. See what I'm saying, though? It's such a complicated industry, and there's so many moving parts, and that's why I think it's like it's such a good space if you're willing to put in the time because there's so many ways you can get a competitive edge, whether it be sports knowledge or market knowledge or the lost, like philosophical investing approach, like everything. You can put it all together. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's not just as simple as, oh, I know sports. I know these players are good. I buy these cards. There's like a whole, whole list of factors that also have to go into it that needs like deep thinking and research, which is really cool. Exactly. And that's, that's all I'm trying to do right now. We have all this extra time. I have no school. I'm not selling very much right now because I'm kind of slowing down shoe operations. And now I have all this free time to just really, really, really nail down this market. And the other thing I did is I got a reseller's permit so I can buy all these cards without paying tax on eBay. So I have to wait for that too before I make any serious investments. So I just have, I have nothing but time to learn right now. And I plan on getting very, very good at this. Okay, yeah, that's awesome. So, one thing I was kind of curious about is, like, I know you've been saying a lot on here that, like, some, that you're not, like, super educated, and, like, you might have sports guys come after you, and, like, I also noticed the other day that on your Instagram, some guy left, like, a nasty comment on your page saying, like, you know nothing about business, so it's just, like, what are your thoughts on, like, not being scared to, like, put your current expertise out there and like even if you might be wrong you know yeah there's two things one i just deep down especially in business i'm just extremely self-confident like that's that's part of it for sure um the other part is is honestly i've built enough goodwill with people that like when somebody makes a nasty comment i usually just like popcorn out, cross my legs, and fucking wait for the people that fuck with me to go after them. Like, it always happens. Like, somebody somebody dropped a nasty comment on my most recent Instagram post, maybe like two or three ago, and there's like, everyone's fighting with this guy. Like, you're a fucking idiot, you don't know shit, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't even have to do it. Um, what else? The, the other thing that helps me a lot is like, I'm not afraid to take losses. I will be wrong. A lot of the things I say... I say, this is just my humble opinion. I'm not fully educated. You know, I could be wrong about this. I always preface it, right? Like, I'm not saying that I know more than everyone else. But 
But what I do firmly believe is that if you just take the common opinion or you just take the consensus and act on it, you're going to be average. So you have to be willing to deviate. I mean, it's just a core philosophy. If you're not willing to deviate, you're never going to be great at anything. So I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of things at play. I just, I don't really, I honestly, like fundamentally, I just don't really care about other people's opinions. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like that's kind of what I wanted to get into a little bit. It's just when you're doing stuff like this, you really can't be scared about what other people think because people are always going to judge you and think that, oh, you're wrong. No matter what you do, there's always going to be someone out there who's like thinking you're not doing the right thing, you know? No, yeah, 100%. No matter what. One of the things, this is more like, I go off and on with this. It's really ramped up lately because I have so much free time, but I do a lot of meditation, like mindfulness meditation, um, try to like clear my head and we're like different things like that. Another thing I've been doing off of that is I have a little business book, which if you see on my story recently, I've been putting some of my notes on sports cards I've been taking on there. I have a bunch of pages of sports cards notes. Like I, when I say I want to get educated, I'm not around, but I also have pages that are just dedicated purely to mindset. Like I'll just put little phrases that keep me grounded, like fuck other people's judgment or like, let me look. I don't think I've ever told anyone about this. That's kind of cool. Um, I'll say yesterday. Like, I'll be like, your only competitive advantage is work ethic. Like, things like that. Like, just to kind of keep myself grounded. So that's cool. Like, I don't, I don't remember what your was. I kind of ranted a little bit. But just in general, it's like, confidence, belief, willing to go against the, go against the grain. Like, when you make an unpopular opinion, someone's going to come after you. That's just the nature of an unpopular opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're, I think it's pretty cool that you're doing that mindset stuff because, you know, it's it's great like to have like a great mindset, but like at the same time you gotta you kinda gotta practice it and like make sure that you know what to do like when your mindset goes south. Like kinda have a plan for that, you know. Right. And I like honestly within the last five months I've had periods where I was on top of the world and I've had periods where I was very anxious for different reasons. And it's like, it takes practice to have a positive, strong mindset as often as possible. You know, I mean, especially like right now, like that's one of the reasons I've ramped it up. It's like, again, I don't want to go on coronavirus for too long, but there's a lot of extremely worrying things when you really look into it. And I was like, all right, well, if I survive, which I think I will, Right, like I'm not, but just, but like, you know, if I survive, I may as well be using this time to get really good at something. So I've just been refocusing my mind. That's why I didn't make content for three or four days, really, because I was kind of freaking out. And I was like, all right, we're good. Like now it's, now it's time to use all this free time to get ridiculously good at one skill. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Like I remember... We've definitely had our ups and downs. Like, I remember we had that phone call last week where both of us were just scared and being super negative about it. And it's nice that, like, over the past few days, you and I have both rebounded out of that and have kind of said, oh, we want to use this break more of, like, on a mission rather than just sit back and be negative, you know? Right. It's practical optimism. It's like, at the end of the day, the world's still going to be turning. And... 
as long as you make it through, you may as well make the most of this time because you're, I mean, like, it might be a really long time before we have free time like this, especially, I mean, for everyone, really, but especially for me because the nature of the business I do is so high-paced. I haven't had, and I'm in school, I haven't had free time like this in a, in a while. Yeah, 100%. Like, this is the longest break I have had and will probably ever have in the entire rest of the time I'm in college. And then, of course, after college, you go to work, which there are no breaks, you know? Right. So, it's definitely good to be taking advantage of this time while we're stuck in quarantine, you know? What do you? What have you been thinking about? Are you? I'm, I'm assuming you're gonna make a lot of podcasts. We could. I mean, we could also like prep episodes about specific issues more and really go in because literally I have nothing. Like I don't have that much to do. But just in general, like what do you? What are you thinking about trying to do over this time period? Yeah, what I'm really trying to do over this time period is one, definitely make more podcasts. Like I have another guy, I never, I have a, I have another guest lined up for this weekend, and I'm gonna reach out to more people that like I don't really know very well, but maybe yeah, I cool. see cool pages that they run on Instagram, and like maybe try to get those type of people in there too. And another thing I'm definitely trying to do is a similar thing with the mindset, which is more like get into routines that I can get used to over a long period of time where it's just like, I'm making sure I have a balance between everything I need, you know? No, yeah, it totally makes sense. Routines, routines are very busy. They're a lot harder than they seem like they would be. I read, I read a whole book about it. It's extremely interesting. Yeah. What was the name of that book? Uh, it was called The Power of Habit by... I've probably talked to you about it before. I've, I've told you a lot about like, the five or six books I've read that I like really like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, this is one of them I definitely... It was Char- Charles Duhigg. It's a really good book. It's, it's like one of those things where there's lessons in it that like are constantly in the back of your head, if you know what I mean by that. Like It's just... They don't go away. Yeah. And it's like habits are one thing that like you said, they seem kind of easy. They seem kind of small, but it really takes training to get used to doing a small thing like consistently. No, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's no, it's just it's actually shockingly hard to just fully get into habits. Yeah. What is your routine kind of like during this time overall like give me kind of a picture of your day like during your quarantine in general i'm one of the most unorganized people you know um because my whole thing is like i think my 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 internal motivations are enough in the right place that i'm willing to just say like you know, I'll just do whatever I feel like doing today, which is why things like my grades are getting really bad right now and things of that nature. But like, I like okay, so like yesterday, two days ago, I woke up at like 
8 a.m. and I walked for like three hours just chilling. And then today I slept till like 1 p.m. So like I'm just kind of all over the place. Okay, I see. So not really... Sorry, what? I was going to say, so right now there's not really like a strict routine, but you're just kind of like doing whatever when you get up. And generally there's not a strict routine for me. At least it's just about like... There's just a certain there's certain shit I just have to get done in a day. Like, like my routine before was like I'd wake up. I know there's a class or two I have to get to. I know I have to box up and ship out five pairs of shoes. I know I need to buy five new pairs of shoes to replace them. I know I need to make a few pieces of content. And there wasn't necessarily a structure around doing it, but it was just like I wake up, I look at the notifications on my phone, and I just roughly know exactly what I need to do. And the goal is to just do everything before I go to bed. But obviously, like I said, it was extremely high-paced, and that it slowed down very much lately. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, I remember there was a certain point where your shoe business was just going crazy. No, yeah, there was, like, this threshold point where it was, like, I was spending a few hours a day on it, and then I was like, whoa, like, if I really want to maximize this and make it insanely big instead of, like, some nice side income, it was like, I needed hours. And it's, I mean, it's been growing, like, my revenue and profit have been doubling month over month consistently. I mean, that's going to change now because I'm not buying new shoes because of the whole epidemic. But the the rate of growth lately has just been, like, unbelievable. Yeah, 100%. Like, especially due to your content on TikTok. Yes, TikTok, TikTok has been an unbelievable game changer. Like, actually just an unfathomably huge change in the entire business. Like, it's just done so much. Yeah, can you uh, elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, so, I mean, the biggest thing it's been, I mean, I I could literally look through the numbers. Do you want the actual numbers? Because I think I would tell the whole story extremely well. It's up to you, sure. I'll just I'll just give estimates. Before before TikTok, I made thirty percent of my purchases for resale on Mercari, twenty percent on on the no, other way around. I did like thirty percent of the purchases I made to resale were on Depop, twenty percent Mercari, fifteen percent today, fifteen percent Poshmark, ten percent Grail, whatever. Right. Since since my TikTok blew up, like the first video about me saying, "Hey, I want to buy your shoes." I've done about 80% of my purchases from followers on TikTok or Instagram. So, like, that alone is a huge difference. Like, that's just, that's like the entire business model is just fundamentally different because I'm buying for people I know as opposed to searching. So that, that's interesting. Another thing is, is since, since that time happened, selling on Instagram or just generally social media, and selling on my website, which of course is a funnel from social media. People can just go to my website and buy right off. I've done like 55% of my sales in those two channels. So like, I went through a business that was making no, there was just no, there was no impact on social media because I wasn't doing it. To a business that's like 6% run on the back of social media. And that's been part of the reason I've been able to scale so much. You know? Because there's just so much, there's the service of, being able to just buy anybody's shoes out in cash on the spot is so valuable. I think that's been the core thing. Yeah, absolutely. Like, just building up that audience that 
wants to buy straight from you is a huge factor. imagine it's probably a lot of fun yep and like so I, I know there's some creators that put some pressure on themselves about it like I don't put like I made two videos before we got on this phone call like the five minutes before we started there's just like two things I want to talk about real quick and I just made quick videos and threw them up because like like I don't care about lights I don't care how well a video does it's just about putting myself out there as authentically as possible as frequently as possible and then the people who fuck with me are gonna fuck with me like right like that's kind of we kind of hit on that a little bit earlier and that's something i definitely hear a lot and I, I agree with it too is that like authenticity wins in the end because the people who like fuck with everything you do are the people who are going to be there like anyway the most you know like that, that's going to be your base is like the people who like everything you're doing and like the people who can relate to you the most, whatever you're putting out there are just... I mean, more, more importantly, not even from a results standpoint, why would you make content about things you don't believe in or don't actually like? Like, yeah, you might get some benefits in the short term, but you're not going to be happy. Like it's not going to be fun for you. Right. Exactly. I think that's a really important too, is to just hit on that. What you're doing, like if it's making your happy, if you if it's making you happy, like that should be like why you're doing it. Exactly. And I think that's why. I, you know, I have a long way to go. I don't want to overplay my success, but from where I started, I think I've done very well so far. And I think fundamentally, more than anything, it's because I just really fucking like what I'm doing. Yeah, I think. I think when we were out in California together, when I was with you, I think we, I think it's pretty safe to say that you've done way better than either of us could have possibly imagined, like within the three months it's been since I was there. Oh my God. Yeah. That wasn't even that long ago. No, I'm miles better at every component of shoe reselling than I was then. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. It's crazy. I mean, I just plan to keep getting better at everything. That's kind of. I mean, that's, on a more general life goal, I already make enough money to fully support myself in, like, phone bill, health insurance, car insurance, rent. I have enough money for all of that, and I'm literally just getting better every day. So, like, I, like, I, I really like where I'm at right now. Yeah, that's wild. That's, that's pretty impressive. Oh, I know. I, I, I would not, I would have, I thought that it would take years to get to that point, and here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it helps that I live in house. Like, my rent's cheap, but still. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm really happy for you. Yeah, that's I'm, I'm, I'm super hyped about it. Yeah. Now, one final thing I kind of want to hit on that I don't think we hit on too much in the last one is, obviously, you're working on a lot of different things right now as far as Always. shoe reselling business, sports cards like what are your like what's your long-term like kind of goals like what what milestones would you like to hit you know um i 
want to be a billionaire. <laughs> like, it's insane for where I'm at now, but I feel like I'm doing enough to try to get there that I'm comfortable saying it. Um, and but, but really, the main thing is, like, that's kind of like the fun, like, you know how Gary Vee throws out, like, the owning the Jets? Like, that's my equivalent of that. In yeah. reality, I just want to be, I want to, like, I know, I know that I don't want to work for anyone, and I know how much happiness I will take out of being fully independent and running my own shit and being the man in charge that, like, I just want to get to a position where I can comfortably do that. And I think I'm already very close, which is part of the reason why I'm, you know, in good spirits, even with everything going on. Yeah, that's very cool. Like, obviously, if you're able to support yourself, like, with what you're doing, that would be amazing. Yep. Very, very close. Of course, there's, like, kind of the the billionaire milestone where, like, yeah, it's extremely difficult and, like, it might not happen, but, like, it's a good thing to think about to, like, continue to push yourself and motivate yourself, you know? That's the long, long play. Like, that that explains why I care more about happy customers than making a dollar in the short term is because I'm not, like, I'm not really playing for the short term. You know, like, like all of it. Like, I don't run this, I don't run any of this like a, like a traditional reseller. Like, no, I mean, no one goes out and spends $1,000 on shoes before they know what they're doing and then says, fuck it, I'm going to learn on the fly. Like, I, like I, I started reselling shoes before I had ever owned a pair of Jordans. I bought $1,000 of sports cars before I ever sold a single sports car. Like, I'm just, I'm willing to take risks because I'm playing a long game. And, of course, I built up good capital from umpiring a lot of baseball games, so that helps, too. But that's, that's my thoughts on all that. Right, like, that's kind of, like, what I was trying to say is having, like, such a big goal, like, kind of sets the tone for all the other stuff you do, you know? Exactly. Like, that's why I experiment every day. Why I'm always looking for something new to try, because I have so far to go. I have so far to go. Like, I'm not even close. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm definitely excited to see some of your future ventures. Me too, bro, me too. Yeah, well, it was great having you on the show yet again today, Dominic. That was fun. Thank you, Dan. I will, I will do my best to get as much of my followers on both my personal account and my 760 Kicks account to watch this because, I, I don't know, it was fun. Hopefully, yeah, I don't know. Ho- ho- hopefully everyone likes it. Hopefully everyone listens. Yeah, I think it'll provide a lot of value to uh, both of our audiences. All right, yeah, thanks again for being on, and take care of yourself during these tough times. You too, man.